Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome to Right Spokane Perspective on this Monday episode. We're going to be talking about an important topic I think that we all have suffered from here in the recent past. I put a Facebook post the other day up, uh, actually about a week ago, up of the forecast here in Spokane. And I know a lot of the country is suffering from the same thing, but uh, I saw that the temperature throughout the morning was going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it looked like we could just sit and wait for the weather to improve because it's been so cold that all of us are thinking about global warming. So we'll jump into a discussion about that today with Steve Gorham after some inspiration. Our inspiration today is about God's unfailing memory. A man owned more than $400 million in Bitcoin, but he couldn't access a cent of it. He lost the password for the device storing his funds, and disaster loomed. After 10 password attempts, the device would self-destruct. A fortune lost forever. For a decade, the man had agonized, desperately trying to recall the password to his life-altering investment. He tried eight passwords and failed eight times. In 2021, he lamented that he had just two more chances before it all went up in smoke. We're a forgetful people, and sometimes we forget small things, where we placed our keys, did we lock the door, and sometimes we forget massive things, like passwords that unlock millions. Thankfully, God isn't like us. He never forgets the things or people that are dear to him. In times of distress, Israel feared that God had forgotten them. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Isaiah assured them, however, that their God always remembers. Can a mother forget the baby of her breast? The prophet asks, of course, a mother will not forget her child. Still, even if a woman were to commit such an absurdity, we know God will never forget us. See, God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He's etched our names into his own being. Let's remember that he can't forget us, the ones that he loves. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your memory, and we're grateful that it's resilient and trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we need to have our memory jogged every now and again about the things perpetuated on us by policymakers and all of the money in Washington state that we're dumping into this climate change narrative is absurd. We're going to talk about that and other things with Steve Gorham. He is the author of a number of books, and he is the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America, author of four books on energy, climate change, sustainable development, and public policy with over 100,000 copies in print. His latest book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure, was published August 1st. So, Steve, thanks for coming on the show with us today. Hey, Tim and Shannon. Great to join you again. I hope you're keeping warm out there. Uh, We're not actually staying all that warm, Mr. Garham. We have uh, (laughs) been suffering from this uh, climate change, this global warming that we were all told about, you know, by uh, AOC that, uh, you know, we had 12 years and then the the oceans were going to be boiling and we're all going to suffer from this this heat. And we're not seeing it. In fact, we're seeing something different. So uh, first question out the gate, 
We don't have a whole lot of snow this winter. We did have a lot of precipitation, but not snow. Uh, is snow disappearing due to human global warming? Yeah, that's been a mis- misconception by many. Uh, matter of fact, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. David Viner, who is at the uh, Climate Research Unit in, in the United Kingdom, said at about the year 2000 that uh, snow is going to disappear. And he said that uh, children just won't know what snow is. <laughs> and then we've had... Uh, we actually have a lawsuit going on in Colorado. It's been going on for about uh, five or six years now. But the counties and also the uh, the skiing organizations in, in uh, Colorado are suing the oil companies because the snow is going away. But if you actually look at the data, that's not the case. It's it's a number, another big misconception about the climate. Uh, there's a group at Rutgers University called the Rutgers Global Snow Lab, and they take a look at satellite data and they measure the uh, the snow extent, the amount of snow that is on the ground in the fall, winter, and spring, both in North America and the Northern Hemisphere. And the data shows snow is not going away. It's actually been increasing for 40 years during the winter and increasing over the last 40 years in, in the fall. It has been declining over that period during the spring, but overall, snow is not disappearing. Well, snow's not disappearing, re- but they, this whole claim of it's kind of like the climate change stuff with, with CO2 that we have talked about in the past, yeah. where we actually have a greener planet than we did decades ago. So our climate is in better shape than we've recorded in the past. Well, it is, and people shouldn't worry about the snow going away. And, and uh, it's minus 10 Fahrenheit right now in the Chicago area. It's 5 degrees in Spokane. At both of those temperatures, you, you cannot charge any of your electric vehicles. They literally will not charge. Supposed to be warming up to more seasonable temperatures instead of uh, this harsh cold that we've we've had over the last few days. Right. We actually had our utility tell everybody, all the users of, of natural gas and electricity, to use less energy, even though we're in the coldest days, like record low temperatures. Uh, I don't see that people are going to use less energy, but that's what the power company here locally put out. Actually, multiple power companies. It wasn't just uh, one entity. It was several entities for the region said use less energy. But I, I didn't see government turning off their heat. I didn't see other users you know, using less. And so uh, I think they're pushing us back to the days where we're going to have uh, coal fired furnaces and uh, wood stoves because they want us to use less energy so that everyone can plug in those electric cars you mentioned. Anyways, there was a conference that just happened, that COP28 in the United Nations uh, Climate Conference, and they they talked in Dubai, uh, United Arab Emirates in early December. What are your thoughts about this conference and what they came out of? Because I, I don't think that these, these global... Uh, entities are going to guide public policy that financially or even climate-wise improves our conditions here? Well, they seem to have a big pull on a lot of people. Yeah, the COP28, COP stands for Conference of the Parties, the United Nations Conference of the Parties, and they do one of these every year. 28 means the 28th one of these. They've been doing them since 1995. It used to be that they had about 5,000 delegates show up. Well, this year they had something like 84,000. And nobody lives in the United Arab Emirates, or very few people, so they all flew in on uh, either private jet or commercial aircraft. And it, when you fly in on an aircraft, for each pound of jet fuel that you burn, you emit three pounds of carbon dioxide. So this was literally the biggest carbon dioxide. This climate conference was the biggest carbon dioxide emitting event on planet Earth this year. That they've <laughs> had, right? Bit of, 
little bit of irony, but we had King Charles III there, uh, billionaire Bill Gates. We had uh, climate envoy John Kerry. We had our vice president Kamala Harris there, many other dignitaries. And uh, so they all attended this thing. And, and one of the things they did agree on or seemed to agree on was that they were all going to phase out hydrocarbon fuels, coal, oil and natural gas. Uh, that's in line with this idea that they want to go to net zero, which is really an impossible task. Now, hold on. They, they want us to go to net zero. I think you just pointed out that all of well, these, they do. The, all these elitists with their private jets just flew all over the world so they could go talk about how much energy us peons are using uh, on our way to work with our, uh, you know, 30 mile an hour uh, or 30 miles per gallon vehicles. And, you know, so John Kerry they called for a ban on coal-fired plants. And, you know, I want to yeah. know if you think that's a good idea. I know that everyone that wants to go to the store and buy things off the shelves, often made in China, China's building a coal power plant like every other month. Yeah, well, you're right. There's a tremendous there's amount of hypocrisy. Uh, we got uh, Mr. Gates there, and he's got houses that use uh, 20 times as much electricity as, as the average U.S. citizen. Well, uh, now, Mr. wait a Perry minute. Said, he said it was a smart house. Yeah, right. And Mr. Kerry is, uh, is loaded with electrical uh, appliances. Mr. Kerry has, has said, well, it's, his work is so important, he's got to fly in a private jet, he can't take commercial. But you're right, maybe the craziest statement during that period was when Mr. Kerry said that we need to eliminate all coal-fired power plants across the world. So here's the story on coal-fired power plants. There's about 6,500 of them across the world. About 1,000 are in planning or under construction. They provide 35% of the world's electricity. And, but, but there's a huge global need for electricity. Today we have 700, people, 700 million people in the world that don't have access to electricity. We have uh, more than 100 hospitals that don't even have electricity in, in the uh, poor nations. Can you imagine that? It's got to be hard uh, to run that equipment we, without electricity. That's right. And we have another 2 billion people that have blackouts or brownouts every day or every other day. If you have an air conditioner in the United States, that air conditioner uses more electricity on average than a third of the world's people get to use on any given day. So this is a, this, this statement by, by uh, Envoy Carey is like uh, Marie Antoinette saying, let the poor eat, eat cake. I mean, he has no regard at all for the people of the world uh, who are living in poverty, who don't have electricity and don't have any kind of normal lives just very very sad it is well and i i think about california in this and you sent me over a document about the global need for electricity of course this uh you know like bill gates's house that's you know this smart house and you look at everything that automated takes more electricity because you've got all the electronics that are tied in and it's wi-fi connected and you know the charging of cell phones and you know this first world kind of uh energy usage that we're looking at. California is talking about limiting the use of power in all of these appliances to where basically you're going to have appliances that don't really work. So you have to, you know, operate them a couple of times to, to cool off the room. You can't just run your AC on low. It's always going to be on high because you have a bad AC unit <laughs> mandated by government. What are your thoughts about, um, like these attendees and all these hydrocarbons, and they, they want to get rid of natural gas. I don't know how any of us would have heated our homes here and our, you know, even the institutions, government. How are they going to heat these facilities without coal, oil, and natural gas? Well, they, they think they're going to force everybody to use heat pumps. And by the way, a heat pump isn't going to run in Spokane at, at uh, 5 degrees or in Chicago at minus 10. It just won't, won't make it. I've actually, my wife and I have a second home. We have one in Virginia Beach, and we have a heat pump there. And occasionally it gets down to about 30 Fahrenheit, and at, at about that point, the heat pump poops out. It just doesn't do it. 
Uh, they're good in, in warm climates. But uh, the state of Washington wants to uh, get rid of all of the gas appliances. By the way, there was recently a case in uh, California. Uh, the city of Berkeley, which was the first city in the country to pass a, a ban on a gas appliances and new construction, uh, that was struck down by the Ninth Circuit Court, and they appealed, and the court again in, in, the, in the whole all of the justices voted voted it down again. They said it violated a national uh, energy act in the 1970s. What's Washington going to do? They're going to uh, force uh, buildings in the city of Seattle to be a net zero by 2050. They aren't going to say you can't use natural gas, but they're going to go around it another way with their laws. Just a bad thing for the people of, of Washington. Well, in, in Washington state, we've got right now our legislature is in session and they are discussing a supplemental budget that is going to spend a ton of money. And, of course, we've all been ripped off by this uh, Climate Change Act that they had passed that, you know, raised yeah. all of our energy rates. It raised the cost of everything. And so when we come back from the break, I think, you know, this renewable spending, and you sent me kind of a chart on that, that, you know, this trillions of dollars that we're investing in something that still is not really working out for the consumer. And it's really not changing. Well, it's obviously not uh, changing the environment a whole lot. So we're going to take a break. We're going to be right back again with Steve Gorham, author of the uh, green breakdown. And we're going to talk about that when we get back as well. Don't go anywhere. Thank you to all the listeners that listen to the show so we can all stay informed on what's going on here on the Right Spokane Perspective. We also want to thank all those who contribute to keep us on the air. All those contributions go directly to the cost of our airtime and production of Right Spokane Perspective. Again, you can help us out by going to rightspokaneperspective.com and contributing also, make those checks payable to Right Spokane Perspective LLC. Send them to P.O. Box 7620-99207. We appreciate all those contributions to keep us on the air. Also, this year, we're looking at maybe having local businesses. That's right, local businesses that are conservative, Christian, common sense-minded businesses that want to advertise to you, the listeners out there. We also like to help listeners find those good small businesses that we can support. Again, and right Spokane Perspective.com, Right Spokane Perspective LLC, PO Box 7620-99207. Back to the show. And welcome back to this Monday episode with Steve Gorham, author of The Green Breakdown, as well as other books. You can look him up, grab a hold of those books, be armed with information when we were talking about these issues because we had this Climate Commitment Act in Washington passed here. And I don't think the taxpayers, the commuters, people that are having to pay these costs are as committed as our elected officials should be, well, committed. So welcome back to the show, Steve. Let's talk about this uh, Climate Commitment Act and how well yeah. it's it's uh, helping the environment but hurting everyone that lives in it. Yeah, well, it's, it's expensive. It has a bunch of things in it, including uh, the big gasoline tax that you have. Uh, the great thing, though, is that the voters are going to have a chance to... Uh, to strike that down. Well, there's there was just controversy about that. We, There was, uh, I think, an economist that was a government worker for decades who kind of became a whistleblower, but the Inslee administration yeah. here in Washington forced him out because he said, you are going to raise costs of fuel uh, 40, 50 cents a gallon, and our governors kept coming out saying, no, it's just going to be pennies. Right. Well, it's, I just checked today, and, and you guys, are the national average for gasoline is about $3.00. 
You guys are paying about four. A big chunk of that is this act, I think. Uh, but it appears that there's going to be a ballot initiative uh, November of this year mm-hmm. my, that may strike down the Climate Commitment Act. Yeah, there was a group, and Let's could, Go Washington, that, that put that on, and they got an amazing amount of signatures to put that initiative before the legislature. And if they don't pass it, which I don't think they will because they're too ideologically uh, bent on their climate change uh, narrative, that the voters will hopefully have an opportunity in November to vote on that, yeah. So that might be a great thing. This is part of the common green breakdown, I think. Uh, we have this tremendous drive by the wealthy nations of the world, United States, Europe, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and some others, to force everybody to go to net zero by 2050. That means getting rid of all your gas appliances, force everybody to use electric appliances or heat pumps, uh, put taxes on things like, like your automobiles, try and get everybody to go electric. And uh, this is going to mean higher energy prices. It's going to mean electricity blackouts, less freedom because they're taking away your, your appliances and your cars that you might want. Well, and less food, and too. Trans- Didn't we just see a, a huge action over in Europe? Was it in Germany where the farmers are saying, look, we're not going to be able to produce food. You're going to starve if you keep these things going. Yeah, they're trying to get to get to the farmers to stop using nitrogen, uh, synthetic nitrogen fertilizer because they say it's a greenhouse gas, and they want them to get rid of dairy cattle because they emit methane from the nose end and the tail end. But yeah, there's there's battles going on in Germany and Netherlands, uh, Sri Lanka, and other places uh, with the farming uh, community right now. All because they think if we do all these things, we're going to stop the planet from warming. That's the real crazy thing. The the science really doesn't support that. There's a bunch of computer models that say that, but that's not really what the evidence shows. So your book, so, the, the Green Breakdown, what what exactly do you mean by that? Because it's, it's not the breakdown of the things on our planet that's green, but the breakdown of, of those that want to collect a lot of green from us in pretending that we have a, a, a problem here. Well, it's a breakdown of the energy transition, the forced transition from hydrocarbon energy to wind, solar, biofuels, and so-called green fuels. Uh, that's the thing that, that the world leaders, that COP28 was driving for, and world leaders are trying to force on everyone to switch our energy, uh, despite the fact that, uh, you know, we're still getting about 81% of uh, our energy from coal, oil, and natural gas, the same as we, we were getting in uh, about 1999. That's despite the world spending about $5 trillion on renewables in the last 15 years. So this is all going to break down, and I I predicted a decade or two for it to occur, but we're starting to see some early evidence. Uh, We have uh, the electric vehicles have hit a speed bump. Uh, The demand for those is slowing. Uh, Well, that's because a lot of people are realizing that it's not really all that reliable, and it's not just that we don't have the grid set up for these electric vehicles, it's that who's going to be the second or third user. I mean, we have people that, you know, second, third, fifth owner of vehicles, there is no used market. And then we don't have the, the recycling capability for these vehicles. Like we do the standard combustion engine vehicle. So even I think the people that have traditionally been on the radical left of uh, climate ideology or, or global warming are realizing that the math doesn't add up that these electric vehicles are actually less green than their old Honda car was. Well, they are. That's absolutely true. They, uh, they now, now so far all the green vehicle, the the electric vehicles in the world have emitted more carbon dioxide than their counterparts because they haven't been in operation very long, and you go into a big de- a big deficit when you first create the battery. It takes about a hundred thousand miles of driving 
for that EV to catch up. Well, I got to the studio it, today in a yeah. 1999 Ford Ranger. It's a four-cylinder. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's it's approaching, you know, 26 years old. Uh, I think I'm the mm. second or third owner. No electric vehicle will have that story told. No, they won't because the batteries only last about eight years if, if they do well, and then they it's very very expensive to replace them. By the way, the price of the the price of used EVs this last year has dropped thirty percent. They're just piling up on lots, and if you don't have a used car market, that shows you've got kind of a weakness of, of many many things overall. Uh, insurance has gotten very expensive. Uh, Five thousand pounds in the United Kingdom, uh, about seventy two percent more in the U.S than an internal combustion engine uh, car. And and Hertz just said they, they had a, a commitment to buy 100,000 EVs from Tesla. They've said, no, nope. <laughs> they're giving them back now. They're selling them for very low prices. Well, that's because they, because they have a used car market. Drive them. They have a used car yeah. market for rental cars. <laughs> but if the value of the vehicle is, is so greatly diminished, like the electric vehicle, then... Yep the used car market for it isn't very good for those use uh, no. for, for those rental car companies. So going back to this, so this is kind of a full circle discussion here because we have the, obviously the, the cars that are going to last a lot longer, the combustion engine ones, they're, they're more environmental than the, than the electric ones, but the electric ones are also, uh, you know, the more they produce them, the more um, demand there is for electricity. We're going to see, you know, that, uh, supply demand curve uh, occur, especially with government putting more pressure on this renewable thing. We see these wind farms showing up, solar farms that are greatly expensive and are not very effective. So what evidence do we have that energy prices are rising due to green energy? Well, they are, there are a number of things. If you look at in Europe, uh, the nations that use the most, deployed the most wind and solar have the highest electricity prices. And if you look in the United States, the states that have put in the most wind systems have electricity prices that are rising faster than the national average. And California's electricity prices have just skyrocketed. Uh, in the last two or three years, they passed up New England. They're now 26 cents a kilowatt hour, second in the nation be, behind Hawaii. And that's going to go much, much higher and uh, as you say, we're we're uh, we're trying to uh, build, put in these electric vehicles, and put in electric appliances. And at the same time, power outages are increasing in the United States. Uh, data from the uh, U.S. Department of Energy shows that back in 2013-2014, every electricity user would have over a year about an average outage of about three and a half hours. And now that's up uh, five, six, seven hours a year. And as we put in more of these uh, uh, wind and solar that are intermittent and we uh, try and switch to EVs and electric appliances, we're going to have more and more problems with electricity power outages. Yeah, we are. I, I can think about the former president. One of the quotes that just can't forget is, when he was talking about energy and, and wind energy, he says, darling, is the wind blowing? I'd like to watch television. <laughs> and I'll just never forget because that's how silly it really is. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at this, this grid that you've provided me with the cost of energy. And I'm looking at, you know, California, uh, $26 yeah. uh, is I think that's per kilowatt 26 hour. 26 cents a kilowatt hour. Or 26 yeah. cents, yeah, per kilowatt hour. And here in Washington state, we're at 10 cents per kilowatt hour. And that's yes. because of our hydroelectric dams. Yes, both, it is. both Oregon, Washington, 
and Idaho, Montana, the whole region really benefits from those hydro dams that they're talking about taking out. Yeah, they're talking about taking them out. Not a good idea. You guys you guys are one of the few states that could probably get close to net zero electricity, uh, green electricity, because you have so much hydro. That's really a big advantage. But for most of the country, that isn't going to happen. And if they remove those dams, that advantage is going to go away. Not a, not a real good thing to do. The other thing I worry well, about Well, we have is- the lowest cost energy in the country here in the Northwest Very because... Close, yep of that hydropower generation that, by the yes. way, comes because of the climate. It keeps bringing the rain. It goes down the river. <laughs> we have very reliable energy because of those dams. Yeah. The other thing I worry about is, is flooding, too. You know, people, I, I don't hear that much discussed, but they say, well, we just re- remove these dams. And then what happens is, you know, those dams collect a lot of water in a flood situation. You take those out. And you don't want to be living along the river down down the way below those dams that they pull out. No, and when they pull them out, the the amount of silt that's behind them, we've talked about that on the show before. And also you've got the, the issue of not just flooding mitigation, but if all the riverfront properties will be diminished in value since there won't be much of a river there in the summer. But you're going to have erosion that is something that all along all these rivers, we've diminished a lot of that erosion because we've slowed all the flooding. But there's not just that. And I want to remind our listeners, last last week, we were dealing with really cold temperatures. We have people that are working to take out the dams. They're working to make it so we can't have wood stoves. You can't have pellet stoves. Natural so, gas. The, you can't have the natural gas. They want to take out the dams, yep. which means we're not going to have as much electricity. We had a, an elected official go ahead and post on, on their Facebook last Saturday that they were in contact with the local energy producer and giver here in Spokane, and they were confirming that there was any risk of another round of rolling blackouts for the Northeast neighborhoods here in Spokane. So I've been in Spokane for 45 years. I do not ever remember any rolling blackouts that we have ever had to worry about. Only windstorms. How are we going to keep our homes warm in eastern Washington if they take out the dams? You can't have wood stoves. You can't have pellet stoves. And you can't have your natural gas. What's left? I think you're going to have to... It used to be that if you, if you have a electricity blackout, the lights go off. Pretty soon you won't be able to run your car and you won't be able to heat your house either. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when we convert everything to electricity, does that make sense? No. Oh, it's, it just makes total sense. Well, and of course, those heat pumps that don't work when it's freezing outside, you won't have to rely on those either because you won't have the electricity. And not only so. that, I definitely don't want the electric car because, you know, we, we took a trip over to, to the other side of the, the state not too long ago, and we stopped just about the middle of, of the pass to get gas, and those electric stations were full with everybody just sitting in their cars waiting for it to be charged. I would have hated yep. to be there last week and be freezing while I'm waiting for my car to yeah, charge. That's right. Well, and, and they don't work very well. Their, their reach is no, they don't. greatly they diminished they in the cold. They won't charge outside. Yeah, they won't charge outside. It's got to be a heated area. So let's talk Once about it the... Gets down to about 10 degrees. Go ahead. Yeah, well, 10 degrees, yeah. We had, you know, minus 10 in a lot of areas here, so they're, they're not going to work very well at all. So, yeah, the New York State goal to eliminate uh, gas fuels when, when you're talking about any kind of use of, of natural gas, commercial heating, ventilation, all, all that kind of thing. So tell us yeah. about that and how well that's worked out with uh, the current war on our gas stoves. Yeah, so so baseboard electric heat is very expensive. The 
Uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Energy says it's about 77% more expensive than uh, uh, gas heating, for example. So people want to go to heat pumps because they're a little more efficient. But a study was done by the New York State Energy Research and Development Administration 2017 that took a look at the idea of replacing all of the gas appliances with heat pumps. And they found that only 4% of the state's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning could cost-effectively switch to heat pumps. They're just not as cost-effective, and they don't work when it gets very cold. So this is just a bad idea. And again, this is based on the, the mistaken idea that we can stop the oceans from rising, we can make the storms less severe, a lot of other things. That is not going to happen by changing these appliances. Uh, the theory of man-made warming uh, is wrong. Climate is dominated by natural factors, not man-made emissions. Well, we're going to have to end the discussion there because uh, we're we're not out of power. We're just out of time for today's show. So I'd, I'd love to have you back on the first part of tomorrow's show because I think there's some a uh, few more topics that we need to cover. You sent me some information. I think that listeners should hear what's happening. Um, you know, we talked about housing in this program last week. And what we see is government going down a road where we have evidence. We have people like Steve Gorham who's been tracking the evidence that places that have made these policy decisions are suffering the consequences. So we're going to have to go for today, but be with us again tomorrow. All that being said, we'll be with you then. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.